Welcome to the Attractions Group Podcast. This is episode, can you believe it, 40. I can't believe that. Oh my gosh, 40 episodes. Don, how you doing today? I'm doing great. You know, there's a lot of uh, TV sitcoms that don't last 40 episodes, so I think we're doing great here. Yeah, we have not been canceled in that regard yet. <laughs> awesome. The key word is yet. <laughs> I keep my head up every day. That's right. That's right. Awesome. So, uh, Ryan, uh, before we get get going, um, you know, last week our Twitter was on fire. You know, a lot of a lot of great content, a lot of you know, really good engagement uh, with our followers, getting a lot of new followers. Uh, you had one particular tweet uh, that was out there. Um, it was asking which wooden roller coasters would need the RMC treatment the least. Mm-hmm. Um, for you, which ones come to mind? So almost any uh, any GCI. Uh, is something that comes to mind because simply, you know, with the time frame involved, they they typically don't need them, especially in the modern era. Um, but you know, anything classic, you know, fifty years old, sixty years old, like it, it's a little cringy to think about that. But fortunately, there are very few coasters that get the RMC treatment that are like super classic. Where I mean, everybody has a special place in their heart for every ride, you know, in some way. But mm-hmm. um. It, uh, I, I would say mainly just like old John Allen stuff, John A. Miller, things like that would be kind of atrocious with history. It'd be like putting a like vinyl siding on the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> no disrespect to RMC, yeah. but that's the way it would feel. What about you? Well, for me, you know, first of all, when you're talking about doing that RMC conversion, that you really only do that if you have a coaster that's a problem child. You know, it's it's either, you know, has a lot of downtime. Um, you know, just major issues. It's uh, the experience, you know, isn't enjoyable fun. So you don't do that unless you have that situation. But for me, it would be, you know, the first one that comes to mind, you see it every now and then people are like, RMC the Beast, absolutely not. Cannot touch that ride. Uh, Coney Island Cyclone, cannot touch that ride. I think the Jackrabbit at Kennywood cannot touch that ride. Yeah, I love. Yeah. And the Thunderbolt, Thunderbolt at Kennywood cannot touch yeah. that ride. So those are the ones that come, you know, right off the bat that I would say, um, no, um, Thunderhawk at uh, Dorney Park. That's another one that uh, it's been around for a long, long time. You just you, you just don't want to mess with it. I mean, it works. People enjoy it. So why try to change something? You know, you don't fix what's not. Broken. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And you made a statement that kind of stuck out to me. You said you only RMC the problem child. And um, I think that's true now. But the cool part about RMC is that maybe 10 years down the road, because they're going to run out of stuff to do, at least like in the United States, eventually. But I think that it's going to be kind of like dark rides where you can have a popular dark ride, but it's run its course. They gut it. They redo it. And it may be possible mm-hmm. that maybe a coaster built in like the late 90s, early 2000s, where if like it had its moment, it's had its popularity, but it's time for something new. That could be an option. Um, but for now, you're right. It's usually the problem child. It's usually ones that are less popular, that are rough, that are maintenance nightmares or whatever that RMC steps in and breathes some... Um, some new life into them. Yeah. And everything that RMC has done, every conversion, I mean, the rides have been incredible. Uh, the ones that they start from the ground floor up, they're incredible. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, great product, you know, that they put out there. It's just some rides don't need it. Yep. More on RMC in the future. Now, another tweet that we had was asking if uh, a Larson loop was a credit. Uh, and it's funny because it was more of a thought, uh, like it was like a thought experiment because a Larson loop is not a credit to almost everybody. But the Skyline attractions, uh, attractions that are very similar to that, they're just not loops, are credits, but they work the same way. It's a constant drive wheel situation. So uh, let me ask you this. Speaking of credits, you know, when we talk about rides like the Racer, um, Gemini, Racer 75, and so on, all racing coasters, are they one or two credits? All right. For me, it's one credit, and I'll tell you why. The name of the ride, the Racer, singular, means one. If it was the racers, then I would say, yeah, give it two. Uh, but yeah, for me, I've always counted it as just one. But you know, everybody, you know, whatever makes them them feel good about their coaster count. If if you want to count it as two, you know, go for it. If it's just one, go for it. At the end of the day, it really doesn't matter on that. No one's really keeping score except for yourself. Right, except for the other Twitter followers, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's it's important to some people, you know, about that. But. Um, yeah, you want to write each different side, but for the most part, you know, if the layout, the design is the exact same, you know, on each side, that kind of thing, then, you know, it, it's one. And I always, I always go back to the name of the ride, 
it's singular racer. So Gemini. if you ride one side of the racer, or one side of Gemini, is that a half credit? I don't know. It's just a ride. You rode it. <laughs> it's no different than getting in the scrambler. It's one, you know, and going to the next ride. I mean, there's going to be somebody that's running for the presidency of ACE or something, and they're going to include their coaster credit counts in their, um, their like pitch. <laughs> it's going to be controversial because of something like that. I bet. The tangle. Yeah, it's, like it's, it's a fun thing. You know, like I said, it's really fun to, to, and that's what's great about the enthusiast community is just those kind of, um, you know, debates. Is it one credit, two credit? Is this, that, or, you know, the other, I think that part is what really makes that community fun is just watching, you know, all that discussion, those debates. Yeah. And also, I mean, I, I think that it is a valid argument. It's, it's a conversation to be had and it's not even necessarily like it's important whether the racer is two credits or one, but when is a ride a different ride? You know, because if you, you know, the white lightning at, at fun spot, you know, it's got Titan track on it that fundamentally changed the ride, but not a lot. So is that a new credit? I mean, I would say no, but I could see an argument for it. So, no, yeah, that's, it goes that way too. You know, if something got changed or a ride got reprofiled a little bit, uh, you know, there was the uh, cyclone when it was called Riverside, you know, park years mm -hmm. ago, uh, back in the eighties, you know, they reprofiled it after a few years and it changed the drop. So everybody was like, it's a new credit now. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I never counted that one as twice and I wrote it both different different ways. And it, to me, it's just one, but everyone else has a different way they want to do it. And again, that's what makes it fun to have those kind of discussions. I, I agree. They're all spirit. And the one thing that, um, the, the one debate that no one has set fire to yet that I'm probably doing now is son of beast with or without the loop. Is that two credits? Cause that's a pretty darn fundamental change to that ride. That was the signature element and they removed it. And, and you changed the trains too. totally change the train. So there, you know, you might lean to that one as being a, a second credit because it was a totally different experience with the different trains and the, and the loop being gone. But, uh, but moving on, uh, we want you to subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's growing, but uh, the best way uh, to keep up with us is to subscribe there. And we're going to have, you know, we keep talking about it. We're, we're going to get to it to where we're going to have some uh, real fun things that we're going to do on there. You're going to start seeing a lot more YouTube shorts. We're going to do some lives. Uh, so be sure to subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, we're, we can be heard on all your favorite podcast apps. And be sure to follow us on Twitter. Get involved in those conversations that we're having. It's a lot of fun. And uh, the Twitter is attractions underscore GRP. And don't forget, sponsorship opportunities are available on the Attractions Group podcast. A uh, variety of different things that uh, you can sponsor, uh, a title sponsor, the pick six. Uh, but just send us a direct message on Twitter if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of the show. So, Ryan. Yes. What do you want to talk about tonight? You know, it's uh, we've had a bunch of great guests recently. Uh, tonight, it's just the two of us. Um, but you know what's happening? Parks are opening all around the country because here in the Northern Hemisphere, it is springtime. So let's talk about park openings. We'll talk about, um, you know, the, the, the PR behind that, the, the physicality behind that, the way that makes us feel. I love this time of year, Don, don't you? Oh, I love it too. It's always fun. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. Well, I mean, um, you know, here's one thing that that's always been a question that it, it's really hard to kind of phrase this, and, and it's probably different per situation. But I noticed that, like with a lot of parks, if they're opening, especially a new themed area, um, there is kind of a difference between what's being released in January when it's a bunch of just concrete slabs and stuff, and what's being released in March when there's actually like, you know, equitable, reasonable things there to see. From your standpoint. When do you cut it off as far as you want to keep people excited, but at the same time, you want people to have that wow moment when they see it for themselves for the first time? Well, I think it's going to be also when, you know, a new attraction may open. Is it going to open with the park? Then you keep it going full throttle. If it's not going to open with the park and, you know, have a later, you know, uh, you know, late May, June, whenever it may be, uh, you might want to pull back so it doesn't take away from opening day. You know, while everyone gets excited about new attractions, you know, in, in my book, those are always until you experience it, you know, that silver and the things that people become accustomed to at your park, that's gold, you know, so you want to, you want to start focusing a little bit, you know, circle back and uh, be showing the familiar to get them excited about their favorite attraction. So make sure that you're including all of that as you get close to opening day. 
uh, unless you know 100% that that uh, those new attractions are going to be the star attractions on that opening weekend. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. I'm also kind of at that age where um, I kind of appreciate looking forward to things. I mentioned a couple times on the show, you know, I made that trip to Dollywood a few weeks ago and Big Bear was, I, I guess it was implied it was going to be open for the spring, but it's not going to be ready till May. Uh, and I'm not really mad or disappointed because I'm excited to go again now. So, um, you know, if the attraction isn't going to open with the park, then, you know, promote that the park's opening because that's kind of a thing in itself if you think about it. All right. But, yeah. you know, not everything is a new ride or attraction. I mean, there, there are other like minor things. Let's I, I don't want to downplay anything because, you know, both food and entertainment are huge attractions, especially in today's world of parks. But for other announcements that are maybe smaller capital, like a new restaurant or show, show lineup and stuff. What's a good time frame for announcing things like that so it doesn't overshadow your message and it doesn't um, get lost in, in the heat of what else is going on, especially with like a big capital year? Well, you know, a lot of times those smaller things that you're talking about, nobody knows about it until you get to within, you know, within maybe two to three weeks before the start of a season. So that's around the time frame that, uh, you know, you'd want to introduce some of those new things. So, you know, in addition to this opening up, we also have a new restaurant. We have a new menu at this location. We have a new, you know, family care center, whatever, you know, a new live show. You want to start talking about that, um, you know, maybe two two weeks out, three weeks out from your, your uh, opening, if it's going to be ready to go on opening day, like a lot of live entertainment uh, does not start for a lot of parks until you get uh, kids are out of school and it's, you know, Memorial Day weekend through the summer. That's when most of those happen. So you want to, you know, put the lineup out there so people see that you do have those because, you know, some people do bypass us to parks specifically for the live entertainment. So you want to make sure everybody knows that it's there, but you don't want to be, you know, really putting a lot of that out on your social channels uh, until those get to be, you know, maybe 10 days, two weeks out, two from opening. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Now, um, we, we've discussed this particular change in the past, but a lot of parks are starting the year this year going cashless. Um, what are some of the best ways to communicate big policy, especially park sweeping policy changes, uh, to, uh, to guess when they're visiting a park for the first time of the season? Well, the two biggest things is um, email. Still, you know, the best way to communicate with your, with your audience, with your guests is your subscriber list, your email. So you want to make sure that you're communicating it first and foremost on email. You want to use your mobile app for that with mobile messaging. Uh, then you have your shared channels with your Facebook, your Twitter, Instagram, um, you know, YouTube, if it's, if it warrants that kind of a, um, you know, change for people and on your website, obviously you want to have a place to drive all that traffic so they can learn more about it. But uh, you, you, you need to be transparent about that as early as you can. If, if you're going to go from, uh, you know, being a park that takes cash to now you're cashless. So you want to make sure that you're giving people enough time uh, to be aware of what's happening there. That kind of a change. That's, that's pretty dramatic for a lot of people. Uh, you know, if, if they're used to always bringing cash with them and now they, they have to go with the cashless route. Yeah. I can imagine that would, uh, that would probably affect at least a percentage of the population. Probably every year it's a little bit less, but uh, there are some people that really um, that rocked their world and they had to make an adjustment. You know what I found though is in this, you know, between the uh, the attractions industry and sports is that uh, you know the the guests to the parks, the fans at the sporting venues, they after they get used to it, they really like it because it cuts down on the wait time in the lines to, to get food or merchandise or play games, or whatever it is. And uh, it just really enhances the experience. So it's always that shock right up front when that first happens, but after they experience it a couple of times, they really like it. I'm definitely one of those people who was excited when I first heard that it was happening because I'm a big fan of digital payments and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. the last thing I want to do is have um, somebody dole out, you know, a hundred dollar bill to, you know, a 17 year old that probably has counted money five times the whole time they've worked there and then have to sit yeah. through that. So I, I was glad to see that. Yeah. And you and I, you and I talked about this in one of our initial episodes with cashless, where I talked about my experience at a Tampa Bay Rays baseball game, and they were the first to do that and go that route. And just how, you know, smoother the transaction took place and how much quicker I got back to my seat and I wasn't missing any of the game. So I was a big fan of that. And as more and more parks started to go that route, you know, I've become even a bigger fan of it. So I, I think it's great. I am one less thing to one less thing to carry. I am yeah. Well, first of all, 
coins could arguably danger be dangerous at a theme park uh, because if you're riding stuff and they could go fly, it's a loose article, you know? So I'm, I'm glad that that is reduced. Um, but secondly, I, it's the, the difference in line is noticeable, you know? And the cool part is, is most places have a system that's, uh, has a meaningful change when it comes to digital. Um, you know, in the past it was always printed out here, sign this, that sort of stuff. So you might as well pay cash, but especially with the tap payments, your Apple pays and stuff, you, you walk up, they ring it up, you tap it, it's done. And the line moves so much faster that way. So it just, that little 30 seconds that the cash adds to the transaction times everybody in line saves you approximately 26 years of your life within that day. And I'm doing the math on that. I'm sure it's correct. <laughs> of course. Awesome. But you know, the, the big thing is if your park has an email list, you can subscribe, definitely do it because that's going to be the best way for a park to keep in touch with you is through email and a mobile app. Email and a mobile app with the mobile app becoming more and more important every day, I think. Um, you know, we did an episode about the perfect mobile app. I think maybe we should do an episode someday where it's talking about how to sell the mobile app to people, like the methods to get them to download mm -hmm. and stuff. Cause I think that's a conversation that should be had. Well, it's um, a game changer if you do it right. It is because it can save you a lot of money. It can make you a lot of money and it can improve the experience for the guests. So I think it's a win-win in several different directions, you know? So uh, with that being said, <laughs> you know, when, when a park opens up, there's always that super excitement, whether you're an enthusiast or you're a casual visitor, anybody that comes on opening day is usually there for a reason. And that's because, you know, they're particularly excited about the park opening. Um, so after the first weekend or so, how do you keep the excitement going before you start hitting like the earnest, like summer season when you start having promotions and, you know, stunt car driver show, you know, that kind of stuff, you know, that, that maybe four weeks or so in between park opening and daily operations. What are, what are your suggestions as far as keeping the excitement going? Well, you just kind of take that same approach that you would when you're in January, February, and you're doing like the countdowns to your opening day uh, type things. You would just keep, you know, putting what's coming, you know, what's ahead, uh, you know, announce your, maybe your, your summer events lineup, do that a couple of weeks after you open, just so there's something else for, for guests to talk about. Um, if you have some construction going on in the park, give some updates. So they want to come out to the park and grab those photos themselves. Uh, you know, if it's in an area where guests can get that kind of thing, uh, talk about, um, you know, popular rides, just kind of feature them. You know, everyone has a favorite ride and if you get them excited, they, you know, are going to feel they're missing out or something if I'm not there that weekend. So you just want to keep people excited that way by just, the, you know, showing the iconic, the familiar and what's next, what's coming down the road. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. Um, you know, with that being said, it, it's, um, there, there, there are two different seasons. Well, there, let's say that there's three different types of openings. There's the opening where the park opens, obviously there's the opening when you do a minor enhancement. And then there's an opening that's like anticipated nationwide, your big B&M giga coaster or whatever. Between the, the different types of openings, whether you're adding like a large capital expenditure or just doing general park improvements without anything marketable, what are the differences from a marketing standpoint about opening the park? You know, it's really all the same, Ryan. Um, you want to get people excited about the season. That it's back, uh, you know, you spend three, four months, whatever it may be between, uh, you know, if a park has a winter event or whatever, then it's about four months before uh, parks back or open back up. So you're really just trying to tap into the the emotion, you know, so whether you have a, a brand new ride or, uh, you know, you have nothing, you know, every you have something that everybody loves about your park. So you just got to make sure that, uh, you know, you're pushing those iconic, you know, familiar attractions as well. If you don't have any big new capital that year and, uh, you know, just do the countdowns, get people excited. You know, they want to get outside, you know, again, because the, you know, it's been cold all winter. Uh, you know, they want to have fun. They want to do it with family and friends and you just need to tap into those emotions. And it, it you know, regardless of what you're, what's new, it's the same format, the same way to go about it, to get people interested and excited. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that you do. Ha I mean, if you're competing, it would be an unfair advantage to have a $30 million coaster versus nothing, mm -hmm. certainly, because, you know, with one, you're, on the national news and with the other one, you're yeah. not, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it's either way. It's, you know, you want to be the, and in most cities, yeah, most cities it for like a seasonal park opening day is a big day. You know, sure. it's a, it's like the first sign of Springs, you know, is here and, 
you know, summer's just around the corner. So it's always a big, big story. So you're going to get that opening day coverage, regardless of what you have in the park. It's just the focus might be a little different sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're right. I mean, it's, you know, you, it's the first day of spring and or not the first day of spring, but it's first real earnest sign of spring of, you know, the park opening and, you know, the baseball teams do that too. It's opening day. Can you believe, I mean, they start doing it in February with pitchers and catchers reporting, you know, oh my gosh, it's going to be warm soon, you know, but it's not, but yeah, exactly. you know, that sort of thing. But you get excited about that. If you're a baseball fan, February 15th, you're excited, you know, and you don't, you know, if your team didn't make any major acquisitions over the winter and they're not going to be a team that's going to go to the world series, people are still excited for the start of a baseball season. It's the same concept. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's just like, just like anything else, you know, when pitchers and catchers are reporting, that means you've turned the corner and we're, we're as opposed to coming down off of the previous world series, you're preparing for opening day. Yeah. What you want to do though, if you're in a, a communications position is you want to kind of take a page from the NFL where they have made themselves 24, seven, 365. Mm-hmm. So you want to stay top of mind all year long with your audience, with your fans and just, you know, keep feeding them, you know, I'll keep saying, keep feeding the beast, but yeah, you want to, um, you know, as long as you're giving them, uh, things that they're going to get excited about, uh, the iconic, the familiar, um, you know, you, you can give them as much as you want and they're going to absorb it all. And they're going to be really pumped up when the season begins. Yeah, I completely agree. The NFL is a really good example because if you look at kind of what they do, um, the, I would say that the the season itself when would you say the season actually runs as far as the excitement goes because you can't really say august through february because it's longer than that um so labor day pretty much the regular season starts in you know labor day training camp start the end of july okay and then you just kind of keep going but they've got you know the draft the combine combine. they've got the uh, pro workout days Mm -hmm. they've got um, you know, the cycle of all the coaching changes going on. They've got the rule changes going on. Um, you know, the schedule announcement, they do big countdowns for that. They release a couple of games at a time. You know, here's our, you know, our, our Monday night opener for the season. Here's you know, who's opening on Thursday. It's not the full schedule yet. So, you know, they have everybody just so excited for that announcement of the schedule by the time they get to that point. Uh, so it, it's just, they just do a phenomenal job of, of staying, you know, top of mind with NFL fans and in the attractions industry, you kind of have to do the same thing. You know, even when you're not open, people still have interest in what you're doing. So you just got to make sure that you're letting them know what's going on and uh, you know, let them know that, you know, they're still there. Yeah. And, and, you know, to equate it to the NFL again, um, you know, once the park opens, that's not the end of the story. Even, even if there isn't anything going on, the top of mind thing is very important because especially with the NFL, um, you, by the time that November hits, oh, another Ravens game. Oh, it's another Bengals game. You know, you could easily slip into that. But they're very good at being like, no, this is the story of this Sunday. You know, and being able to tell the story is where you connect emotionally and you keep it top of mind. Mm-hmm. You know, exactly. Now, Don, uh, when we talk about, um, you know, today's world, one of the things that industry wide has been a problem and it's really hit us this year for some reason is that supply chains have made it so a lot of attractions, even little things are opening late. How do you manage those expectations for when a park opens? What do you do about that? And how do you work around not really having an exact opening date because you don't know what it's going to be necessarily? You know, communication is the key, Ryan. You just have to make sure that, uh, you know, you're up front and you're communicating with your guests, letting them know that, uh, you know, it's not going to be ready, you know, for this opening weekend, you know, and then you pick a timeline like you know, spring spring goes to mid mid june technically but uh, you know you say and you say summer uh, you don't have to give a, an exact you know deadline but you just want to make sure that you're letting people know it's not today it's not next week when it's going to be open uh, but soon and then as soon as you have that information you know you let them know but then it circles back again to even though those aren't ready to go all your favorites are still here and you just want to make sure that they know about those that they haven't forgotten uh, you know what they have come to love about your park yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, it, uh, setting the expectations obviously is very important because I know that uh, at, you know, a park I visited this season, they had like a restaurant that wasn't opened and it was cl- clearly under construction, you know, and they were like, oh, I've heard it's opening next week. And it's like, use your brain, dude. You know, that that's not going to happen. But, um, 
Yeah, you're you're right. It, it probably is kind of difficult when you can't put you know a sign on the new ride saying opening June first or or whatever. It, it, people's imaginations run wild. Probably expectations um, get exaggerated. But you you're right. Communication is is definitely um, the route to go with that. Yeah, just make sure everybody knows what's happening. You know, if you're uh, working for a park and you need to let your guests know so they don't come expecting. Now at the same time. Yeah, you can send out the emails, you can do the mobile pushes, you can uh, put it on your website, you can put it on social media, you can do news stories, and there's still going to be people that don't know, you know, when they Mm -hmm. get there. So there's, you're always going to deal with that little bit. But, you know, you just do the best you can just to make sure people know, uh, you know, that's not ready yet. But here's what you can do on opening weekend, you know, you want to make sure everybody knows that, you know, these rides are still there, uh, these shows are still there. Uh, this shop that you love is still there. Your favorite food is still there. You know, we still have the, the, the treats, you know, those kind of things that everyone, uh, you know, loves and are part of the tradition of going to a park. You know, everybody has that thing that they do every time that they're there. So just make sure that people still, you know, haven't forgotten about those things. And, uh, you know, you'll get to those new attractions when they're ready. So let me ask you this. Let's say it's January 15th, you know, your park opens in, you know, early April or whatever. Um Maintenance comes to you and says, hey, the new attraction, we're looking at Memorial Day weekend. Do you communicate that out immediately or is there like a Not until you know. Yeah, you don't know until you know. So you want to make sure that uh, you wait until you have a final. um, This is definitely it. Because if you go out with that and then all of a sudden something changes and it's going to be earlier, you know, then you've got the other thing where, you know, why plan my visit now, you know, Memorial Day, because that's when you said. So you just wait until you, you know, you know. Okay, so so you're you're saying that you know a lot of times when dealing with guests there is a risk of overstating it where you exactly know, you know um yeah yeah you only like I said you you wait until you know and you don't know until you do know so if uh, somebody says it doesn't look good in January well it might look pretty good in March um, so you just wait until you know there's that that confirmation that this is definitely you know what's going to take place and that's when you want to communicate that out you don't want to jump the gun and and be ahead of it and because things change all the time i mean it can be uh you know you can have terrific weather all of a sudden you know stretch of six weeks of where it's 60 degrees you know in february nobody expected that you get so much more done than you thought you were going to get done so just things change all the time yeah um well let me ask you this so uh, a lot of attractions that are not opening on time are being advertised to open in the summer and as you mentioned, summer is more like mid-June from like a scientific standpoint. Is there a risk to that? Because it could be Memorial Day, which to socially is the beginning of summer, but scientifically yeah, it's not. I, no, no. I, I think everybody kind of identifies, you know, they don't really look at the calendar for what that uh, actual date is for summer. I think everybody looks at uh, Memorial Day and then you have all the water parks and pools opening. I think they look at that as the official start of summer. Okay. Yeah. I mean, unofficial start of summer, I guess it would be. Hey, so you've, uh, you know, you've got a lot of experience being around a park that's, that's closed during the off season, obviously. Um, and anyone that's ever walked around a park, especially like 48 hours before opening day, there's stuff everywhere. It, It doesn't look ready. You come back that Saturday for opening and everything's pristine. What do those last few days look like when you're, you're opening a seasonal park for the season? No, it's a beehive of activity. You know, it's uh, all hands on deck to get, uh, you know, parks ready to open. And when it does open, you never, you know, the public, they don't know what it looked like two days ago when it looked like there's no chance, you know. So uh, I had I was fortunate enough long before I started working in industry to be able to come in and and do, you know, walk around and look at new attractions and things and and visit with, uh, you know, people at the park. And I always had my mind, no chance that's going to be ready to go on Saturday. You know, if I was out there on a Wednesday or Thursday and uh, it was always, always done. So when I got into actually working in the industry, um, you know, you still wonder how it's going to get done, but it always gets done. So, you know, you, you don't stress and worry about it because you know that, uh, you know, everyone's going to step up. Um, you know, there's going to be that one team effort and it's going to be, it's going to be done. And, you know, the park's going to be shining on opening day. Yeah. I mean, and probably it's one of those things where, you know, you can take a a Ferrari and cover it in mud and it'll look like, you know, a broken down old clunker. And then you take it through the car wash. It looks like a Ferrari again, you know, so (laughs) a little bit of cleaning and, uh, you know, taking those pallets out of the midway that have been there since February and power wash around the park, you know, all the pavement stuff. And it, uh, you know, 
you could almost eat off the ground. Yeah. So uh, to you, you know, w- what's the first sign of spring to you from a theme park standpoint? Because we talked about this for like for for baseball, where when pitchers and catchers report, that's kind of like one of those things where it's like, OK, we're done with the World Series. We're looking forward to opening day. Like to you, where, where do you draw that line as far as is it when they first start cycling rides or is it like when they start bringing the cars back? Out? You know, what, what are your thoughts? Bringing the cars out. Yeah, when you start to see the forklifts bringing the cars, uh, the ride vehicles back out to the attractions, followed by, you know, putting those cars and the trains back together, then the cycling uh, for the test runs. So that normally starts to happen about six weeks uh, before the park opens. That to me is a sign that, uh, you know, it's here, you know, because now it becomes the the on season, you know, that uh, you need to get it ready and and things are happening and it's all coming back to life. So I would use that word when you see a park starting to come back to life. That's that's the sign of uh, spring for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I completely agree. I mean, I don't have the experience of seeing that every day or anything like that or every year, but you're right. I mean, when it, when it, when you get out of the mode of decommissioning 2022 and you get into the mode of commissioning 2023, that's the first sign of spring for me, you know? So I, I think that's, that's probably a pretty exciting thing to see in in person every year. No, it is those first cycles. And I mean, it, it's, it gets you excited and knowing that, you know, your opening day and your season is just around the corner when you see those trains and other ride vehicles cycling, you know, you might not think much of a scrambler, you know, in motion, nobody riding it, but it's exciting because, you know, it's here. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. And, you know, that's, (laughs) that's, it's one of those things where like, you know, you always see those monster rides, um, Mm -hmm. the Averly aircraft monster rides and they, uh, they're completely in pieces as soon as a park closes and if if your local park has one of those and has a winter event you've seen it you know and then oh, yeah. um you know they they seem to be one of ones one of the earlier ones where they start reassembling them so uh you know it's something like that you can go, even use that ride itself to gauge it awesome don do you have any final thoughts about spring or reopening or you know no it's just you know a fun time of the year you know for me especially you know being a uh, you know amusement theme park fan uh you know a baseball fan you know, it all starts in April uh, with the seasonal parks. And, uh, you know, it's one of my favorite times of the year, Ryan. Mine too. Um, yeah, it, it's hard to be in a bad mood when it comes to spring, right? Awesome. Cool, cool, cool. Well, that went that went rather well. Uh, we're both in a good mood because it's spring, you know? That's right. Awesome. Well, so in our next segment, we like to discuss the latest news, articles, information, patents, anything that's happened in the last week of the amusement industry in a segment we call The Pick Six. Don, what are we starting with today? Well, it's one of my favorite segments that we do on these podcasts. So we're going to start with Track appearing at Fun Spot Kissimmee with Mind Blower. It's closed right now. So 208 Track. What do you know about it? So I actually did not know that this product existed. Uh, looking into it, 208 track is kind of their response to um, like Titan track. So it replaces wood coaster track. Um, they have not announced anything. So Mindblower is alleged to be the one getting this track and it is closed right now. Um, but I, I to, to set the expectations straight, they're not changing the layout more than likely. They're probably replacing either the whole track or sections with this um, this 208 track. Don, have you ever ridden Mindblower? I have. I've uh, ridden it, I'd say maybe I have, I think, like 10, 12 rides on it. You have more than me then. Uh, Mindblower. Well, I wanted to try to ride it in every seat. So, you know, it was just to make sure that, uh, you know, because every, every seat's going to be a different experience. But uh, it's been a couple since I've been on it, though. I think the last time would have been 20... 2019 um when i wrote it the first time it was about a week old and i was about a two and done to be honest with you i love the gravity group they do great work um this one was so intense that it was like it felt way older than it was uh and i know it has its fans like it definitely has its fans out there but uh for me it wasn't for me and from what i've heard it's gotten worse over time so um, this could be a very positive change for it. Uh, I know that people are already complaining like, oh, RMC's taken over another wooden coaster, but I think it needs it. I mean, w- what are your thoughts on it? I thought you used the right word. 
you know, intense. And when you look at it from like the, the, the midway level there, it doesn't look that intense, but it is. Uh, it's a ride that, you know, like I said, I got 10 to 12 on it. It's something that would not be repeatable for me if that was the only thing I wanted to ride the whole day. If I, um, you know, was there three or four times a week, I wouldn't be able to take, um, you know, that intensity that often. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, this is going to be a good thing. You're right. It does have um, its share of fans that love it the way it is, but I think it's going to enhance the ride experience. I, I think it's going to, um, it's going to save the ride in the eyes of the public because if it progressively got a little bit worse over time now, to be clear, the whole thing was relatively experimental. You know, it's, it's an, an honest looping wooden coaster, you know? So, um, you know, if they put these pieces in and then it ends up being a really good ride, then fun spot does have, they got a winner on their hands again, you know, cause it's, mm -hmm. you know, they start getting that buzz again. So good on them. All right. So not to, uh, to leave RMC alone. Um, they're still on the move and it was reported yesterday that Wildcats revenge lift hill has been topped off. Did you ever ride the original wildcat? I did not. Uh, I wanted to, but never had a chance to do it. Uh, but these are always exciting moments. You know, it's exciting if you work at the park. It's exciting if you're part of the coaster community. It's exciting if you're a, a pass holder that uh, just enjoys, you know, riding roller coasters uh, to see those milestones happen. Because then you know it's getting closer to being completed. And it's just a question of time now before you're going to be able to ride. I always thought that um, the whole uh, engineering and math and planning behind cutting out sections of a wood coaster and replacing it with your own stuff was just mind boggling. And I would never be smart enough for that. Um, but you know, it used to be like it with, I mean, granted steel vengeance is definitely a, um, a, a larger project, but steel vengeance shut down, uh, mean streak two years in advance. This just shut down in July. So, it seems like it was kind of ambitious to get this thing going in the matter of, uh, of, of a year mm -hmm. or so, you know? So, oh, yeah. so I, the fact that they're topping it off now and they plan to open it uh, sometime this summer, I think is what they're reporting. Uh, I think that's pretty impressive. Don't you? I do. And, you know, like I said, it's always exciting when you see those, those milestones like that, like getting topped off or that final track piece goes into place. And I'm always amazed that whether, you know, you're, you're building, you know, any kind of steel coaster that, just the precision that that final piece you're always wondering, well, what if it doesn't fit, but it always does. Yeah. Cause these people know what they're doing, right? <laughs> awesome. That's why I take the pictures and the video of it instead of being on the, on the crew, putting it together. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, Ryan, uh, the wait's finally over at Bush gardens, Tampa Falcons fury has reopened after what, about a year or so that it, uh, it had been down. Um, I'm just operating off the top of my head, but I think it closed with COVID and never, never reopened. Yeah. Never reopened. Yeah. yeah it's been a couple of years then. Uh, because if you recall Falcons Fury, when it opened and I mean, it's been open for about 10 years now, but it, it opened super late cause they were having just all sorts of issues with it. Uh, for those of you who don't know what Falcons Fury is, it's at Bush Gardens, Tampa in Florida. Uh, it's a drop tower where you get to the top, it faces you forward kind of in a flying position and then drops. If you are afraid of drop rides then this is not the ride for you with that being said i i'm terrified of drop rides and i rode it uh that was pretty terrifying did you ever ride that one i know you're a big i did and it's fan. it's 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 both fun and thrilling you know so uh not afraid of heights anything like that so um you know i, I was looking forward to riding and i thought it was fun yeah uh, i don't know how i got talked into riding and it's um what's funny is uh, you know i've been very clear that my favorite ride on earth is tower of terror at uh you know, Disney's, um, Hollywood studios. But with that being said, I'm generally not a big fan of drop tower. I'm not afraid of heights. I don't, I, 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 I mean, we could get into deeper of this like psychology behind my, my dislike of drop rides, but, um, that one was particularly thrilling. It's very tall. It's in the, you know, the 300 foot range, but when you're, when you're dropping down, you know, you're laying flat, it really feels like you're going to belly flop the ground, <laughs> you know? Oh, it does. <laughs> it does. Yeah. Not afraid of heights, afraid of wits. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> With that, but no, if you're if you're there in that area, you know, definitely try it. It's it's a unique experience, and it's not something you can do everywhere. So, if it's there, take advantage of the opportunity and ride it. Absolutely.
All right. Next story. I think this is number four. So to go back to this, um, you know, Super Nintendo World opened at uh, Universal Hollywood uh, several weeks ago, I think back in February, actually. Um, Just an update on that. Um, The Super Mario Brothers movie, uh, which is tied to the same franchise, has made nearly $700 million. Now, that is the largest opening of an animated film. It knocked off Frozen 2. Uh, so they've got something on their hands right now, but now people are really flocking to, uh, Super Nintendo World in Hollywood. Um, they've already had one that was announced for, um, Epic Universe at, uh, you know, Universal mm-hmm. Orlando. Um, do you think that Universal maybe have tripped and fallen and landed on the next Mickey Mouse with this stuff? I mean, <laughs> I, I think it's looking that way. Mickey Mouse, Harry Potter. I mean, it's, uh, it's huge. Um. Uh, you know, $700 million. I mean, it's, I knew it was going to be popular. I didn't know it was going to be 700 million popular that quick. You know, and it's well-deserved. I, uh, I've been sitting on an AMC theater gift card that I got for a birthday a couple years ago. And it's just one of those things that's like sat in the center console of my car forever. And it's like, yeah, I'll see. I'm not a big movie goer because most movies are terrible. Um, but that was one where I was like, you know what, that'll be fun. So I, I just kind of burnt it up and saw it. And it was, so funny and so charming and um, so rewatchable. Uh, and the best part was 90 minutes long. So it wasn't this three hour, like you have to go to the bathroom six times during it. Uh, it was just one large gulp Coke zero and a large popcorn shared between me and my girlfriend. Um, <laughs> so it was that length, but um, now they're talking about like, it's, it's almost definitely greenlit for a sequel. Uh, and they're already talking about like, well, what else do they have for Nintendo? They got Metroid. They got the Legend of Zelda. Um, Legend of Zelda, everyone's kind of like eyeing like maybe that where Poseidon's Fury was, Legend of Zelda Land will be. I mean, I think that could sell tickets too. That'd be good. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the cool part is the Legend of Zelda, it's, you know, with Harry Potter, um, when they put it in, I wasn't sure what it was because I was too old for it when it came out, you know, but um Legend of Zelda, like the first game came out in like 87 or so. And then there's one that's coming out in May and there've been about 25 in between. So there's everybody who's been exposed to that property. You know, I think that's, that's really cool. So, um, I, I can't, I, I can't believe that universal, um, they're, they're sitting on it. They're sitting on a rocket ready to take off. So, uh, Epic universe can't open soon enough. Uh, I wonder if they're going to pivot to start doing more with the super Mario stuff, because it's clearly there, you know, they're yeah, a great opportunity with that and what they can do with it in the future. Yeah, absolutely. What's next? Well, unmark your calendars. Mm. Bucky's opening of its new Tennessee location in Sevierville has been delayed. The opening date was originally going to be June 5th. It was going to be a few weeks later. No exact date has been, um, you know, announced yet. But I'm kind of bummed, Ryan. How about you? I was looking forward to going down and being among the first to go in the store. When they open a Bucky's, is it like when they open a Chick-fil-A with like the first hundred people in line get like brisket for a year or anything like that? Have you heard anything? About I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But I was going to try to find out. But I was definitely going to go down and, uh, you know, be among the first, uh, you know, to do it. I knew Bucky would be there and, you know, it was going to be just, the, the you know, it, it was going to be the the largest in the country you know so a record breaker there with that and i was going to get a melt sandwich and a brisket and head on back you know and so it wasn't going to be like a long trip it was going to be get down there go to bucky's come right back and uh just disappointed yeah i agree and you mentioned like bucky would probably be there i mean you can visit bucky at the one in richmond kentucky but that's not the real bucky that's just the guy in a suit <laughs> Yeah, they bring the the real Bucky out for the uh, for the new openings. Exactly, kind of like how they have like a Beetlejuice lookalike at the uh, at Universal, but it's not the real Beetlejuice. It's an actor. How come, but how come you don't have a Bucky shirt yet? You know, what last time I was there a couple weeks ago, I actually looked for uh, a Bucky's Hawaiian shirt, but they, I couldn't find any. You know, I, I was I was definitely going to get one, but they didn't have any. But I'll, I'm going to head down there again. Um, probably at the end of May. So I'll look again because we should just make that part of the uniform. Even our guests will make them wear a Bucky's Hawaiian shirt. Yeah, it's required <laughs> uniform. It's required uniform. Either that or you get to We don't wear flair. We wear Bucky shirts. Exactly. Exactly. 
All right. So last one of the day. This is to our friends over at King's Dominion in Richmond, Virginia. So King's Dominion has had some exciting things going on. Um, they opened Jungle Expedition. They added that 4D coaster, which is terribly underrated. I wrote it three times and I freaking love it. Um, but their big uh, thing, and I know they were teasing it with kind of an interesting campaign, is they're opening an all-new Firehouse Barbecue restaurant that's going to open this summer. And it's going to have, um, you know, obviously your, your typical barbecue stuff. And it. it's going to be located in the Parks Planet Snoopy area. Um, barbecue at a theme park is such a thing, isn't it? everybody's doing it's becoming, that. Yes. Yeah. But you, you mentioned the, the teaser campaign that they did. It was, I thought they did a phenomenal job getting people excited about it. Um, it's going to open this summer. Uh, there's that word again, this summer, but uh, you know, it's going to have some great theming uh, touches to it. It's going to be the third signature restaurant added to the park. Now think about that. Three of them now signature restaurants. A lot of parks don't even have one signature restaurant. So that's a big deal. Um, they're going to have these brownies. They're going to have this huge, massive uh, marshmallow on top. Um, you know, and, and you know, for Bill, Tony, Steve, and Mark, and Kelly, and Susan listening, and the rest of you, it is going to be on the dining plan. So it's only on the dining plan for the random six names that you. <laughs> well, I said and others. I said and others. And, and the rest. Uh, and that, the rest but, of your cyclones. <laughs> That's what I think. Of. Yeah, uh, but it's de- you know it's it's definitely going to be on the dining plan. And and you know when you go to King's Dominion, you know I mentioned there's three signature restaurants. What are the three signature sure restaurants? I just know this one right now at the top of my head. Well, I, I, I would say three. Grain and Grill is one. Grain and Grill, yeah, Grain and Grill is one. Uh, That's their own. Okay, own so thing. yeah, so Grain and Grills is one. I agree with that. But I'm trying to think of what the other one would be because, like I said, I was a big fan of the Mexican restaurant when you walk into the park on the left side of International Street. But I wouldn't mm-hmm. exactly call that signature. To me, like I would eat there. We ate there for three meals, but I, I would eat there again. Um, yeah, but you know, I mean, it's just one of those things that. Uh, you know, we've talked about this, about the culinary experience, how it's just really, you know, been elevated at parks around the country in the last three, four, five years. And it's become a reason to go. You know, you you might not ride a single ride at some of these parks, uh, but just the food is worth going to try. So I think that's exciting for the foodie fans out there that, uh, you know, it's not just about roller coasters and water parks anymore. You know, it, it, there's now the, the you know, the food is just so good at all these parks that, uh, you know, I wish a dining plan had existed back in my days as a pass holder, because I certainly would have uh, uh, taken advantage of that and, uh, you know, would have loved to have been able to go around to these different parks and and just eat the food. And I know we did that, you know, kind of in a way when we were at uh, Universal back in November, where we were at that one event and all the different restaurants are open. So it gave me a chance to go around that park in a way that I would never would have been able to do and try a lot of the different food that they had. And, um, you know, I, I thought I could make a day of it just with food by going, there. I wouldn't have to ride any of the rides. Uh, so that's, that's what, you know, how the industry is, is coming around and, you know, there's, there's, it's, it's really big now for all the food enthusiasts out there that, uh, you know, this, this dining plan has been not dining plan, but the, the dining experience has been elevated to the level that it has been at all these parks. Yeah. I mean, if you recall, when we had Elizabeth Ringus, the president of the American coaster enthusiasts on the show a couple months ago, uh, we asked her what her favorite food item was. And she said the hummus at the grain and grill at King's dominion. So let's break that down. 15 years ago, if I would have told you that we asked the president of the American coaster enthusiasts, what their favorite theme park food was, it would have been for one at King's dominion for two at a place called grain and grill and three hummus. Like, isn't that, doesn't that just blow your mind that we can just accept that now? Yeah. 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 I mean, before I remember, you know, when it was basically you got chicken tenders, hamburgers, hot dogs, pizza. Right. And maybe, maybe some parks had fried chicken. Uh, But that was, uh, that was, you know, your options and uh, you know, you get your fries or whatever, then you had the treats, but you know, now it's, it's, it's like, you know, it's, you know, pardon the pun, but like restaurant quality, you know, like if you were going to a Montgomery Inn or something like that, you know, it's that level now at the parks. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's funny, me and my friends, a couple years ago, we had that weird realization where it was like February and it's like, God, what I wouldn't give for a pub burger. It's like, what? Did I really just say that? You know, you know, at theme park food, usually you avoid that, but are you like me now? You go, you you leave a park. You know, before I was always thinking, "Oh my gosh, that roller coaster was so great. That live show was, you know, phenomenal." Now I leave a park. Sometimes I'm thinking, "Man, that was one of the best burgers I've ever had." 
Yes, absolutely. Yeah, one hundred percent. Um, because to me, it's um, how do I phrase this in a way that's not that makes sense? But um, you can put you can put in new rides that are great easily. You can put in new shows that are great, not as easily, but also easily. Money will solve any of those things. To put in food that's presentable, tastes good, edible. I mean, that's that's way harder. That's way harder because you have to do all those things on top of it. And you have to do it a million times over, you know, because yeah. there's, there's not just me in line. There's a hundred people behind me and there's going to be 500 people that go through this line. So if they can make a burger that looks really good and tastes really good and it's cooked just the right way, that means they've got the perfect, like repeatable process. And I think it shows a lot of competency when it comes to a park, Yeah, you know, I mean like, um, uh, for example, let, let's use Dollywood, for example, like uh, everyone talks about their food uh, and it's the food is excellent, but I don't think it's the fact that it's excellent. I think that it's the fact that it's different because, you know, they've got your mashed potatoes and gravy and stuff like that stuff you don't find at parks. Um, and, and they've got this repeatable process at a lot of the restaurants where they can just do that, you know, and it's not gravy out of a can. It's not mashed potatoes, add water, you know, um, but yeah, the. When when parks do that, and it seems like a lot of the upper class parks, the upper crust of parks are really leaning in that direction. Uh, to me, that shows a lot of competence. Uh, it shows that management priorities are in the right direction, because you know, it, as you know, as people say, you you got to eat. So if you if I went to Disney and they just had cruddy burgers, I would eat the cruddy burgers because I don't want to die, you know, because I have to eat to live. But um, yeah. it's different when it's kind of like, oh, you know, hummus on a whole grain cracker, you know, or whatever. But so I, I think that um, having high quality food is it shows competency and it shows respect for the guests. So I think it means a lot oh, more than just the food. Absolutely. I agree with you there. Awesome. Well, that's our pick six. We should probably have done a seventh because we're on a roll. Awesome. Don, do you have any final thoughts this week for, uh, you know, spring or Pick six or RMC two hundred eight track or Falcon's Fury or Poseidon's Fury or, <laughs> you know, it's just an exciting time of the year, you know, because before we know it, it is going to be Memorial Day. The water parks are going to be opening, and we'll have to do a segment on that of all the the different water parks around the country. And, um, you know, it, it's just you know a fun time of the year, you know, where you're you know you're outside and you're with family, you're with friends, you're you know you're just having fun again instead of being you know locked up because it's 18 degrees outside so it's it's the best time of the year when all these parks are opening i completely agree don thank you once again we have we'll have another guest next week uh really exciting show i won't tell you who it is but it's somebody that if you're in the industry and you know who they are if you're not in the industry you do not know who they are but you're gonna love what they have to say because they are very smart and very good at what they do um, make sure that, uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, thank you. Make sure you hit that subscribe button down there at the bottom. Uh, if you prefer to listen, then you can always just follow us on, you know, your favorite podcast apps, Apple, Spotify, Google, whatever. Um, and if you're listening, then make sure you follow us on YouTube, you know, you see how this works. Um, and follow us on Twitter at attractions underscore GRP. Cause we've been having a lot of fun with the Twitter recently. So you want to join in on the conversation, but thank you everybody. Uh, if your park is opening, then enjoy it. Have a safe trip there for opening weekend. Try the food. Let us know how you think. Make sure you tweet at us and have a great day. Thank you so much.